Welcome to the Normal Christian Life Podcast with Pastor Stephen Samuel. As you listen, we know that you will be encouraged and challenged to follow the normal Christian life that Jesus offers to us. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so please visit us online at icathedral.org. You can also find useful information about our church and other resources that will help you grow in your journey with Christ. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. How can you combat feelings of unworthiness before God? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says it like this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, most translations translate this passage that say this. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. But that's not what the original text says, this old King James Version. He says, be diligent to show yourself approved to God. What does that mean? You constantly have to tell yourself, I'm righteous. In the middle of your sin, you can tell yourself, I'm righteous. And it will not empower you to continue in sin. It empowers you to live righteous. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. And the more you tell yourself, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you are coming into alignment with the way God thinks about you. Because when I think like God thinks about me, I begin to behave like God behaves. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God foreordained before the foundation of the world. God has a thought process of who you already are before you get there. And the way you get there is you just believe. That's who I am. This sounds so, it's simple, but it's so powerful. If I begin to believe I'm righteous, even when I don't feel righteous, the believing will bring me into the righteousness of God. But what is the voice of the enemy always doing? The voice of condemnation in your thoughts always doing, telling you, you're unrighteous. You're not a good person. Everybody, if everybody knew what I know, then you would really be undone. If everybody knew the way you blah, 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 talk to your wife, talk to your kids, did this, did that, whatever. They really knew all these bad things. Well, listen, everybody's knowledge is not what justifies your righteousness. Your righteousness comes from Jesus. And so, we have to move into a place of practicing, appropriating, or putting the righteousness of God on us. How do we do that? Well, let me stop before we go there. The question is, what about all the good I've done so far in being righteous before God? Well, Stephen, let's say I'm really a righteous person and I'm following Jesus and there's this other person that just starts following Jesus. Are you saying we're both the same? Yeah. They're just as righteous as you are righteous because The blood of Jesus is the same on both of you, right? The atonement is based on both of you. When we both stand before God, the guy that's saved three minutes before he dies and the guy that's lived 60 years following Jesus, listen, they're both righteous, right? Jesus tells it in a parable like this. A merchant went out to find laborers early in the day, right? And he went to the highways and streets and he tried to find people and he found a few and he said, come work for me for one, one denarius a day. 
and they came out, right? And he didn't have enough workers. The harvest was getting, the sun was going down. So he goes out in midday and he finds another group of workers. He says, come and work for me for a day, right? For a dollar. And they come. And then he goes out a third time and a fourth time. And every time he goes out to the marketplace, he gets more and more workers, but he offers them all the same wage. And at the end of the day, it's payday. And guess what happens? All the workers come and he says, bring to me the ones that have worked the most recent ones that have come in, I'll pay them first, and the ones that worked all day long, I'll pay them last. And as he does, guess what? Everybody gets a dollar. And the guys that worked all day said, hey, we have borne the heat of the day and worked all day. And you gave, make these guys equal to us? And the master says, why do you think I'm evil? I gave you my word, and I've kept what I promised to pay you. Is your heart evil because mine is good? Right? And Jesus tells that parable to say, listen, everyone gets in the kingdom on the same level, right? On the same place of righteousness, atonement. We want this systematic way where God, you know, scale balances our good and our bad and you get a better throne in heaven and you get a, you know, you get a wooden throne in heaven, you know? But that's not how righteousness works. When Christ atoned for sins, listen, just because your sins aren't obvious or they radical need for your atonement is as obvious as everyone else's doesn't make it any more or less, right? Okay, read on here. Um, what was the motive of our righteous behavior or righteousness? And this is where it really comes, the, the rubber meets the road. When we say, I've been righteous before God for 60 years, and you're saying this person that's just born again, that they're just as righteous as I am, then draws into question, what is your righteousness or your your discipline of following Jesus, what is that motivation? Is it because you want approval before God? Well, you already have approval. Or is it because you love him? And love is the fuel through which we're supposed to function. It's because we love him, we keep his commandments, not to gain his righteousness, right? When we love him and we do it from a pure heart, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. We're doing it out of a love for him, right? Okay, read on here. When we are in constant communion and in fellowship with the loving God, fellowship of a loving God, we find we are naturally righteous. It's easy to come out. Now, I wanna look at these passages. Uh, well, let me look at the last question here. It says, how do I get the tr truth of my righteous nature into my belief system? And the truth is, it's by repetition. Romans chapter five, verse 17. Let's look at that um, passage here. For if by one man's de offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read that one more time. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. That word receive there is present active participle, which means you receive and you keep on receiving and you keep on receiving. What will be the result? You will reign in life. Righteousness that God puts on us, we have to constantly receive it even though it's been done once and for all. I'll give you a little analogy. 14 years ago, me and my wife got married. We celebrated our anniversary sometime last week, right? 
Don't ask me the date. It's past. I don't have to remember it for another year. <laughs> but we made a commitment 14 years ago. That was the beginning of the covenant, right, that we made to each other. Every day since that day, I've had to make a choice to work toward a great marriage. I know a lot of people are like, well, I was just a really lucky guy, and that's why I have such a great marriage. I know. I had to work my tail off to get rid of stupid ways of thinking in my head to serve my wife above me, and it was hard work, but it made the marriage what it is. And she had to do just the same. So even though we have a covenant, we're married. Staying married takes work the whole journey through. Some seasons it's hard, some seasons it's easy, but guess what? It's work, no matter how easy or hard you think it is. Right? Just because you enjoy it in some seasons doesn't make it any less work. Right? It's the same in relationship with God. We're made righteous right away. Bam, you're righteous before God. But you have to keep receiving that righteousness he put in you because the system of this world keeps trying to bring you to a place of logically or in your thinking to a place of condemnation where you feel I have to earn righteousness. And so you go back to a works-based doctrine, a works-based doctrine where I need the righteousness of God by or I get the righteousness of God by doing this, by doing that, by doing that. And what happens is over time, you will wear yourself out. You will. You'll get tired of trying to feel a certain way. So how do you do it? How do you walk this righteous life? You keep receiving. You have to keep telling yourself, I am righteous. I don't feel righteous. My thinking is not 100% righteous, but I am righteous because of what Jesus did, what Jesus did. He says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. This is a very powerful passage. Jesus just didn't take the penalty of sin. He became sin for us. That's what King James says. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an intense passage. You see, it wasn't just he paid off the debt that the bill collector was collecting and got you caught up to the rent for this month. He bought the planet that the house was on, right? He became the debtor so you would never have to owe money again, right? He became what he was not so you could become what you are not, right? And notice, for all you English people, that is a being verb. There's not actions involved in that. He took on the state of sinner, so you can take on the state of being of righteous. You don't have to do anything in action. You just are. So you can tell the devil, listen, I know you're accusing me of doing this, with my own behavior, but here's the problem. I'm just righteous because that's what I am. I'm righteous. The voice of accusation can come all day, but you have to tell it, I am righteous. I can't even help it anymore. Like it's a done deal. I'm righteous. Righteous before God. There's nothing that's gonna change that. I can't undo the work of grace. 
When God made me righteous, he did it once and for all. And the moment I believed on him, those who believe receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. You know why there's an abundance of grace? To help you walk through the transformation of believing you're righteous, right? Okay, the next passage, uh, the last passage here, Romans 5, 17. Much more, for, and I just read it earlier, For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the, now watch this word here, gift, gift of righteousness. Now, in in America, I think our idea of gifting has changed quite significantly with the commercialization, especially around like Christmas time, right? This is not what gift means in this text, How many of y'all have ever told your kids, well, you know, you better be good or you're not going to get blah, blah, blah for Christmas, such and such for a gift. But in the context of what that word gift means, if they have to earn it, it's not a gift. It's a wage, right? So we're really not giving gifts at Christmas. We're giving rewards, (laughs) right? I mean, let's just be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're celebrating your reward because Jesus came, <laughs> right? So you can earn what was supposed to be given, right? But we do that all the time, right? If I come to you with a gift and I say, here it is, and you say, hey, let me pay you for that, that's an insult to me, right? You ever done that at the restaurant, try to pay for the meal, and they give you a stink about it? Your friend gives you a stink about it? You're like, man, you're really ruining this thing for me here. I'm trying to be nice to you and bless you, and you're trying to pay for it or arguing with me about paying for it. Well, you know, I just feel so bad. How you feel doesn't determine what I feel towards you, right? It's a gift. You have no power to change the, the, the um, transaction of how I want to give it. Well, let me just pay for some of it. Then it's not a gift anymore. Then we're going Dutch, right? <laughs> Right? Well, I just don't feel like I deserve it. That's why it's a gift. You don't deserve it, right? But we do those negotiating comments with the righteousness of God, right? Well, I know I'm saved, but I'm just barely hanging on, you know? I'm just trying to earn my way into heaven. Nobody earns their way into heaven. You're made righteous because of who Jesus is. You're made righteous because of who Jesus is and what he did. When God gives us the gift, the free gift of righteousness, what is it for? When we receive that gift of righteousness and we hold to that deep in our heart, constantly in the forefront of our thinking, because that's what that word receive there means, to keep receiving, keep receiving, keep it in the forefront of your thinking, here's what happens. You'll reign in life. Because all battles, and we hit this quite a bit in the book of Ephesians when we studied last time, all those battles in your mind is the voice of self, the voice of condemnation, trying to destroy what God has said, right? Vain imaginations arising up to do what? Bring you into condemnation. To try to make you earn what is already yours, right? And here's my challenge for you. If you're like, Stephen, I hear what you're saying because I've been there before where I'm like, man, I really want to believe this, but it's just not deep in my heart yet. How do I get it there? Here's the answer. You ready? Repetition. I have to tell myself, I remember for years telling myself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. 
And the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's able to divide between my soul and my spirit. The logic of the Holy Spirit's voice in me and the logic of my soul trying to condemn. So I have to keep telling myself over and over, these three passages, I listed them on the back so you can kind of meditate on them and repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. And there's this great theological resource you can go to on your computer called Google and just put scriptures about righteousness. You get this great list of passages of your righteousness you have in Christ. In Romans chapter three, he says this, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. God reveals it to us. How does he reveal it to us? When we first begin to believe it exists. You begin to believe this is the truth. The hardest thing about the gospel, the good news, getting into the hearts of people is this. They don't believe it. It can't be that good. It is that good. You believe that he paid for your sin nature became the sinner so you could become the saint. You believe. And you have to keep that belief constantly in your thoughts, especially when the voice of condemnation, when you act outside of the nature of the righteous person you are, right? You have to believe, I'm not the behavior I am. I am who God says I am. Okay, one last point, and then we'll close with this. So I was reading a book by Dallas Willard, and he talks about, of course, Dallas Willard was the professor of psychology, I think, at Southern California, uh, University of Southern California. And he talks about this concept of, in his book, I think it's Divine Conspiracy or the Spirit of the Disciplines, but he talks about this concept, and there's much more, and I'm not a psychologist, but there's this, there are two schools of thought, maybe more, on what reality is. One school of thought says reality is based on your perception of it. So let's say I have this nice cup of coffee right here and it says Starbucks on it, whatever. (laughs) And everybody's looking at this cup of coffee and I say, I want you to tell me what you think about this. And they're not gonna be greatly varying, hopefully, opinions, but everyone has different opinions, right? Starbucks might be a good thing for you. This coffee might be a nice thing to think about. Your perception of what it is, it's a warm cup of coffee or it's a cold cup of coffee or it's a you know, pagan uh, you know, coffee vendor that I hate or you know, I love Starbucks, but there's all kinds of perceptions of it. Does that make sense? That's one school of thought, that reality is really a conglomeration of everyone's perception of what it is, that it's not really a substance, it's just all perception, right? And that's a school of thought in the world of psychology supposedly. But there's another view that says, whatever you perceive this thing to be, that's okay. But in itself, that is reality. And the closer you get to it, the more your perception will change, right? So my perception of this will be more accurate because I'm sitting right here by it, the closer I get to it, than let's say Rondell in the back who probably can't see all the details on it. Does that make sense? The scripture teaches the context that reality is something that the closer you get to it, the more real it becomes. And the reality that you and I are created to live in is in the person of Jesus. What he says is the truth is really reality. What he says about you, that is the truth, whether you think of it or not. You might be standing way in the back and looking at yourself as something 
unclear, unsure. But he's standing right here. He is God with us. And what he says about you is what the truth is about you. And you can either choose to believe it or disbelieve it. But his truth, that's the real thing. There will be a lot of surprises in heaven. Why? Because we'll see the truth for what it is and be like, wow, I didn't see myself like that. I didn't see Jesus like that. I saw him from a distance. What closes the gap between where you are and where the truth is? The word of God. Your word is truth. Jesus says it like this. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you'll come into this reality of relationship, of asking the Father, and he will do what you ask. There's this place where Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and the list goes on in John chapter 17, of the transformation that will happen in us because we are in him. His reality, his reality It's the truth. And we know this in our thinking, but yet in our emotions, we feel like, but I feel like this is the truth. No, he's the truth, right? The weightiness of who he is, when he comes into a room, everything is about him. He's the truth. What he says, what he thinks, that's the truth. No matter how distant it is from your thinking and perception, that's truth. And I'm saying that in the context of your self-view, If you don't know what God says about you, you're living in a delusion. You're living in a self-constructed delusion. You might create a reality for you that's um, easy for you to understand and swallow and accept about yourself, but it may not be the truth. What does God say about you? You don't know until you get in his word. And I'm not saying have an emotional experience to validate what you think you feel about yourself, but get in his word so his word tells you this is who you are, right? And he doesn't define us by a job, a career, a personality test. He defines us by himself of who we belong to. He defines us by your mind. You're the righteousness of God in me, right? When every aspect of your life where there's a struggle, there's a good chance, there's a crisis of perceiving the truth. I remember when I was uh, first, you know, first we got married and we had kids, our first kid, Judah. And he was sitting at the kitchen table, I remember, and he wouldn't finish his food on the plate. I know none of you have ever had this problem before, right? He wouldn't finish his food. And my whole, you know, growing up, I always had to finish all the food on our plate. And I didn't mind because it tasted pretty good, you know what I'm saying? But I remember myself getting angry because he wouldn't finish his food. He'd always throw food away. And so I know you never have this happen, but you can feel kind of the frustration rising up inside of you, right? And you're about to go ballistic on a child and then repent for it later kind of thing. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit stopped me in the middle of my explosion, pre-explosion stage. And he said, why are you so angry? I had to stop. Because it was pretty clear, a little, you know, pause in your thinking. And I had to stop and think about, why am I so angry? Well, because he won't finish his food. If he doesn't finish his food, we're throwing away money. You've ever heard that statement, right? Throwing away money here, you know? And the Holy Spirit says, why do you think you're throwing away money? 
Well, you know, and you start going through the logic like he doesn't know, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you why then. <laughs> why do you feel like you're throwing away money? Why is that a problem for you? Well, because we don't have a lot of money and I got to make sure I, you know, save what I got. Like we're going to recycle the carrots, you know what I'm saying? And so just asking the question why about three or four times got to the root of this. Because there's a fear in me that I don't have enough. There's a fear that I don't have enough that's driving me to be not even frugal, but to be somewhat contemptuous in my frugality. And that fear is what's driving my anger. Well, after that little discussion, I was like, I don't even care, man. We got plenty. (laughs) Whether he eats those carrots or not, we have plenty. And my God, here's the truth, will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. He will never know poverty because that is the truth. And so when I step into that truth, the fear falls off. The thing that's driving the false reality falls off. When the light comes on, darkness automatically dispels. And here's what I found in my, in my few years of life. Whenever I'm in a place of believing a lie, it creates condemnation in my thinking, whether it's against myself or somebody else. It's a lie. And I have to find the truth. And sometimes it's not easy to find, but I have to keep searching until I find what does God say about this situation? Because many times we validate or we try to validate our perception of reality to be true based on how we feel and not on what God has said. Did you get that? We easily try to validate our perception of reality based on how we feel and not on what God has said. But if I know what God has said, then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to step into his reality and his word is going to be truth. And that truth, listen, does not change. His word will never pass away. It's constant. Never changes. Jesus will be Jesus and the reality of who he says you are will be who you are for eternity. Will not change. And how do you enter into that place? Believe. If I believe, then guess what happens? I enter into that realm. Trying to carry around their righteousness by their good works. You're still going to get to the same place that the cart is going. But you're making your life miserable by carrying your self-righteousness. And I'm not just saying that in a metaphorical sense. In a very literal sense, many Christians believe they're maintaining their salvation by their good behavior. And that's called self-righteousness. In fact, we're so proud of our self-righteousness, we're trying to get everyone else to buy into the fact that they need to pay for their way to be righteous. And they don't. If the blood of Jesus is not enough to impute upon us or put on us the righteousness of God that we have to add to it our work, guess what? It's not powerful enough. So here's this, I know what you're thinking. Well, then why are we living such holy lives? Let's go to the little text here. 
we receive righteousness by faith, believing it exists. So let's think through this. I'm going to answer that question. Number one, when do you feel unrighteous? Well, the answer to that for most of us is when I do something wrong, I feel unrighteous. How often do you hear condemning voices taking your behavior as a means to diminish your value? Well, you know, if you're really a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have got that angry. You wouldn't have told that person they're number one on the highway, you know. If you're really a Christian, if you really love God, and that voice, what is that voice doing? It's accusation, right? And whose voice is the one of accusation? It's the enemy. Or I would even say it's your own conscience condemning you before God because your mind is not yet renewed to know that it's not your behavior that makes you righteous. It's his righteousness that makes you righteous. Okay, keep reading here. Are your feelings an indicator of the acceptance you have before God? Think about that statement there. Are your feelings an indicator of your acceptance before God? Here's the, here's the dilemma that we get into. When you first started following Jesus, let's say you was at a church, youth camp, wherever, and you went and you repented of your sin, or you said, God, I want to follow you. I give my life to you. I surrender, whatever the terminology was. There, for the most of us, there was this feeling of elation, joy, salvation, whatever you want to label it. And we quickly associated this feeling with righteousness. I feel right before God. But as all feelings go, it will diminish with time, right? And so what do we do after week three of after we've gotten saved and we messed up really good, right? We go back to the altar and we repent of our sins and we hope for the same feeling and somehow it's not quite the same. It's a little bad. It's, it's good, but it's not the same feeling that we had at the first time, right? We think, well, I'll take it. It's about 90% what it was the first time. I feel righteous. I repented. And then we begin to associate repentance with righteousness, right? When I repent, I feel righteous. When I repent, I feel righteous. And feelings becomes the litmus test of whether I'm righteous or the indicator of my righteous feeling, right? But the truth is this. You were righteous all along. You're just on the back of the cart holding the wood now, right? If one sin undoes the eternal atonement of Christ on the cross for you, what's more powerful, your sin nature or his blood? His blood. But if you believe your sin automatically makes you unrighteous, then you're undermining the work of grace. Because the moment your sin negates how righteous you feel and don't feel, you're in a works-based salvation. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us at icathedral.org or on social media via Instagram and Facebook. Or most easily, by downloading our app, Cathedral Church, in the app store of your choice. Until next time, keep living that not-so-normal Christian life. God bless you.